Hey, Christ community, uh, greetings to our 15th Street campus and our West Campus and our Traditions venue, as well as our friends in LaSalle. So glad all of you are here. Before we jump into the message today, I wanted to take a couple of minutes here and give an update regarding our West property. Um, I know that for a, a number of you, uh, you've been asking what's going on with the sewer line and all that stuff and wondering what's going on there. So, And so I wanted to share where things are at. For those of you who may not know, about five years ago, our church was given 35 acres of land um, on 10th Street between Boomerang Golf Course and 83rd Avenue. And we have been earnestly praying and seeking the Lord about how to most strategically use this for his glory. And we have felt like God wants us to multiply his influence in this spiritually needy region by building a permanent West Campus on that property and so, so that we could have two vibrant and permanent Christ community campuses. Well, in addition, we have been wanting uh, to not just have a church building there, but also to have to create a destination development with bike paths and green space and family-friendly businesses and all that. So this has been our vision, and we began raising money to pursue this vision through our For the City and Beyond initiative. Now, early on in this process, we realized that it would be most strategic for us to invest funds initially in the infrastructure of this property because it was undeveloped. And so bringing sewer and water and electricity to this, to this property to raise the value of the land and to hopefully attract other businesses and developers. And so about 20 months ago, we began this process of working with the city of Greeley and designing a very long sewer line that connects the property to the Pooter Learning Center. Well, after several months of working with the city to get approval on our plans and all that, they, they, they informed us at the last minute that they just realized the sewer line's actually in county property. Um, so we sort of had to start over with this process in terms of submitting plans to the county, which we are doing. Now, initially, I was very frustrated with these delays, but the more that we have been processing this, the more we've begun to wonder if perhaps the Lord is wanting to tweak or redirect certain aspects of this vision. Now, here's why I say that. In addition to the delays that, that we've experienced, there are also a couple of other factors that we are, we are wrestling with. One is honestly the price tag, um, specifically the increasing cost of the sewer line over time. So over the last 20 months, the estimated cost of the sewer line has almost doubled what we initially projected, what the initial projections were. The cost is now estimated to be closer to $2 million. And that is a number that has given us pause, especially because of this other factor. And that is that we have met with multiple developers this past 20 months, have shared this vision, and yet none of them have wanted to partner with us on this project at this time. So without a development, uh, a development partner, we would assume all the financial burden of developing the property, which is a level of risk that we are feeling more and more unsettled about, you know, launching this entire development without a partner. So here, here's where we're at. Our vision has not changed. Our vision has not changed. We believe God wants us to multiply his influence in this region by establishing a permanent campus on the west side of town. And, and we believe that he has given us this land to move that vision forward. But we are open to the possibility that he may be wanting to do this in a way or in a, with a timeline that's different than what we've been thinking up to this point. We just need the Lord's wisdom. We just want to go where he is leading. So this 
may surprise you, but my initial frustration has actually changed to excitement. I'm excited because I know, I know that God is leading in this process. We have been and we continue to be very open-handed with this vision and are just trusting him to lead us step by step. We still have our sewer line plans, you know, in the, in the permitting process with the county. That's still happening. So if we find a developer and we decide, a partner, and, and decide to move forward with the property, that will be able to happen. And because of your amazing generosity, your continued generosity, we will have cash on hand to be able to act quickly when the Lord makes our next step clear. So God, God is in control. Um, he is faithful. He has faithfully led us to this point, and he will continue to be faithful to lead us. So I would just ask you to pray. Would you be praying as you drive past that property, as, you, as you're just seeking the Lord, just pray for God to continue to lead this church and for God to multiply his influence through this church however he wants to do that, that he would make his path clearly known to us so that we as a church could see him change more people's stories in this region. So. In fact, I'd like to pray right now before we jump into the message. Just pray with me. Um, in fact, if you feel comfortable um, and you want to just kind of stretch a hand towards the West, just as a symbol of our desire for God to move, feel free to do that. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving us this land and thank you for giving us this vision. Thank you for this church that's been around this community for over 100 years and this desire, our desire to continue to be used to, for your glory and the way that you want to multiply that vision. And so we entrust this to you. We need you. We need your wisdom. We need you to show us what the next step is. We need you to, to open doors. We need you to close or just guide us. Lord, if you want to bring partners along, we pray for that to happen. We pray, we entrust this whole process to you. And we thank you that this is in your hands. Thank you for this church. And we ask you to multiply your kingdom through us in this region, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying with me about that. Okay, so if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. We are actually concluding our Luke teaching series today. For the past several months, we have gone verse by verse through this, uh, this eyewitness-based account of Jesus' life and ministry. Way to go, Christ community. You made it, okay? You made it. Um, our heart in this whole series has been for us to see, see for ourselves who Jesus is, not what other people say about him, not what the History Channel says about him, to see for ourselves who Jesus is. And it's been an amazing journey. It has been so fun to see and to hear people People in church talking about the impact or people from our church are talking about the impact this book has had upon them. Just one, one example. We have seen an increase in generosity the past four months. And I think it's because of the passages, several of them. If you've been here, you know what I'm talking about. The passages in Luke that talk about money. We have been challenged by Jesus' words. And a lot of people in this church have responded by obeying him in greater ways, which is so cool. So now we come to the final passage in this book. We would expect it to have this significant, fairly dramatic conclusion, but it doesn't. 
In fact, it has, it has more of a to-be-continued feel. Now, I don't know about you, but I really don't like to-be-continued endings, you know? I don't like it, you know, when I'm watching this TV series, I'm hooked into the series, and then right at the end, the last two minutes of the series, something dramatic happens, and they just leave it like that, and then to-be-continued, you know? You know you have to wait like four or six months, whatever, for the series to start again. That is so frustrating. Um, so, so, so I hate those kinds of endings. But in Luke's case, in Luke's case, the, the to be continued ending actually is a good thing. It's an exciting thing because what it means is the mission of Jesus continues. See, with, with Luke, the ending is just the beginning. It is the beginning of Jesus' continued activity on earth, but now in a very different way. And so let's look at this final passage, Luke 24, beginning in verse 36. Just to set the context, at the start of this chapter, Jesus rises from the dead, and he appears to some of the women followers, and then he appears to two other followers who are on their way to a village called Emmaus. We looked at that passage on Easter a couple of months ago. So these two followers... They rush back to Jerusalem to let the disciples know that Jesus is alive. And so that's where the passage picks up. Verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and blood and excuse me, flesh and bones as you have, as you see, I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. This is such a fascinating passage at multiple levels. Jesus has just risen from the dead that very morning, and then he appears to the disciples who think he is a ghost. But he shows them in multiple ways that he is not a ghost. It's him in the flesh. This is his physical body that has been resurrected, and they're all blown away. Luke tells us that they're filled with amazement and awe and joy and fear. All at the same time, their minds are being blown. But there's more, there is more on Jesus' heart than just calming their fears and showing off his resurrected body. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that all that has happened to him is a part of God's purpose. It's a part of God's mission on the earth. So what Jesus does then in this passage is unpack this mission for us. He does so by answering four basic questions about this mission. Four questions that we, we desperately need to understand if we're his followers, okay? Four questions. Who, excuse me, what, who, how, and why? So let's look at the first question. What? What is this mission? What is this mission? What is this plan that God is orchestrating? Well, check out what Jesus says in verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
Okay, so Jesus lets them know, hey guys, this is all a part of God's plan. See, you thought my death on the cross was an ending, but it's not. It is, it's just part of the plan that God is orchestrating. And then he shows them from the Old Testament, from the law and from the prophets and, and the Psalms, he shows them how all of these things were actually predicted ahead of time. And they were, were revealed in the pages of scripture. The plan was all there, laid out in the Old Testament. See, God's plan has been to provide a way for sinful, broken, rebellious people like you and me to have our sins forgiven so that we can experience a relationship with God. See, that's what God has been doing all along, restoring broken people through the power of the gospel, the power of God's son, our Messiah, crucified in our place. This gospel, this good news, Jesus says in verse 47, I just read it, is to be preached in his name to all nations. Now, this statement is significant because the Jews viewed themselves as being God's chosen people. And so they assumed that this message of the gospel was just for them alone. But Jesus says right here, no, 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 no. It's for everyone, Jews and Gentiles. It's for every race. It's for every ethnicity. It's for every people group. It's for every person. Jesus' death on the cross provides something that no other religion provides a way for sinful people to experience forgiveness and a relationship with God. See, that's the what of the mission. That's the what of the plan. It is to reach every person with this incredible news, this good news that we can know the God who created us and we can live in a relationship with him. That's the what of the mission. Next aspect is who. Who is entrusted with this, the responsibility to see this plan happen? Well, look at what Jesus says next, verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. Now, this word witness refers to someone who has experienced something personally, and because of that personal experience, they can testify to its validity. And so this is why witnesses are so important in a court of law and in journalistic reporting and in history books. See, witnesses can uniquely testify and verify as to the truth of some event. So that there, there is incredible power and incredible influence in being a witness, right? There's incredible power in being a witness. So it is no coincidence that Jesus uses this term to talk about his followers who are standing there with him. And he says to them, you, you are witnesses of these things I've just been talking about. My death, resurrection, all that. You are witnesses of these things. See, in other words, you are the ones, you are the ones who are responsible to testify about the truth of who I am and what I've done. You are the ones, you are the ones to proclaim the truth of who I am to this world that desperately needs to hear and to know this truth. You are witnesses. You're my witnesses. Now, we actually have a more detailed description of this very commission, this commissioning statement Jesus gives. In, in the book of Acts. See, now Luke not only wrote the book of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts. 
And that's why this is to be continued, right? It's because the book of Acts continues on with the story. In fact, if you are really disappointed that the Luke series is over, I encourage you to jump into the book of Acts because that's where the story continues. So in Acts chapter 1, Luke describes this commissioning statement in a bit more detail. Look at what Jesus says here. Acts 1 verse 8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, clearly, he is, Jesus is not only talking to these disciples who were gathered around him at that moment. I mean, the language is this to the ends of the earth. Right? He is giving this commission, this mission of his whole church, it's this global language, which includes any and every follower of Jesus. We are his witnesses. We have experienced him personally. We've experienced him firsthand. And he wants us to testify to others about him and this Gospel to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. <clears throat> now, the clear implication here, the clear implication, because Jesus, you know, he ascends into heaven, right? So the clear implication here is that if Jesus' followers don't do this, who will? If Jesus' followers don't do this, who will? See, if we are not proclaiming this good news, if we are not testifying to what we have experienced, no one else is going to be doing it, right? No one else is going to be doing it. We are his witnesses. Now, notice the emphasis is, again, not on what we do. Go witness. No, no, the emphasis is on who we are. You are my witnesses. This is who you are. You've experienced me firsthand, personally. You are my witnesses, so if I were to, hypothetically here, you don't have to do this, but if I were to ask a, a question, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you're a missionary, I'm guessing that very few of us here would raise our hand. See, we think of missionaries as those people who move to other parts of the globe to plant churches and all of that. But think about this. At the heart of the word missionary is the word mission. See, missionaries are simply carriers of the mission. They are witnesses of the gospel to the world. So when Jesus says to us, his followers, you are my witnesses, every one of us is included in that mission. Every one of us is included in that mission. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, you are a missionary. You are a missionary, maybe to some distant country or maybe to your neighbor or to the school you attend or the, the place where you work or the senior center or wherever you hang out, wherever that is. But we are all carriers of this mission. We, we are all called by Jesus to share the truth of who he is and what he has done for us. Again, we've experienced him personally and he wants us to testify about that. Now, I know this is when guilt can start to kick in um, in a message like this. I know that, you know, I should be sharing my faith more. I know I should, but I don't feel qualified. I need to do a better job, blah, blah, blah. You know, guilt can start to piling on here. But, but the, and those kinds of thoughts probably reflect many of our hearts here, right? But I, but I want you to think about something. This, this encouraged me. Maybe it will encourage you. I want you to think about something. Think, think about, in this moment here, in Luke, think about the people 
who were standing around Jesus when he uttered these words. You are my witnesses. Think about the people standing around him. He was surrounded by very ordinary people who some of them still didn't believe his resurrection happened, even when he was standing in front of them. They were still doubting. Um, he was surrounded by people who were, some of which were cowering in fear, and they were filled with doubt. See, that encourages me. If Jesus, if Jesus could look at that group of people and say, you are my witnesses, I'm entrusting this mission to you. If he could look at that group of people and say those words, then maybe you and I fit into this group as well. Right? <laughs> See, apparently, he's not looking for the brightest, the coolest, the hippest, the strongest, the most gifted people. No, no. He, he wants to use very ordinary people like you and me to take this very precious message to the world. We are the who. You are the who. I am the who, right? We, we are the who. We are the ones he has entrusted with this plan, this message of hope. Which leads to the third question Jesus answers regarding his mission. That's the how. The how. How are we going to accomplish this mission? How can ordinary, fearful, not that put together people like you and me be effective witnesses for Jesus and his gospel? Well, Jesus tells us here. It is not in our power. It is not in our ability. Look at what he says next. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. See, Jesus doesn't say, you are my witnesses, now go for it. Get out of here and go, you know, right now, immediately go proclaim. No, he doesn't say that. He says to these disciples, I want you to wait until you receive power from on high. Now, clearly, clearly this mission can't happen on our own. It cannot happen on our own. We need God's power to enable us to do this. Okay, so again, jumping over to the book of Acts, chapter 1, we see this in a bit more detail. Acts 1, verse 8, check this out. <clears throat> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this power has a name. Holy Spirit. That's the name, right? The, it has, has, has a name. Holy Spirit. God's very own spirit, Jesus is saying, God's very own spirit will come upon these people and they will be his witnesses. Now, one of the things that I love about the book of Luke, and many of you have probably noticed this as we've gone through it, is how Luke often talks about the Holy Spirit more than any other of the gospel writers. Luke talks about the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Jesus. So Luke is the only gospel writer that mentions that the Holy Spirit was like a dove coming upon Jesus at his baptism. The whole, Luke is the only one, I think, that says that the Holy Spirit, in Luke 5, the Holy Spirit was present for the Lord to heal the sick. He was a, he, the Holy Spirit was there so that Jesus could heal the sick. So Luke was continually talking about how important the Spirit's ministry was in the life of Jesus. 
And now we see this amazing truth. That same spirit will be given to Jesus' followers so that they can continue this ministry of Jesus. And that's exactly what happens. In Acts chapter 2, the spirit comes upon these disciples and, 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 and then the Holy Spirit is given to everyone who places their faith in Christ a little later in the chapter. chapter. So what we see there is that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. Think about that. Think about that. In fact, just if you're comfortable doing this, just place a hand on your heart. Just place a hand on your heart and just repeat after me. The Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God lives in me. Lives in me. Think about that. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. He lives in me. God's very own spirit lives in us. See, here's what this means. We are not alone in this mission. We're not alone in this mission. We are not on our own. You know what? We're not even leading this mission. Do you realize that? We are not even leading this mission. The Holy Spirit is. The spirit is the one leading this mission. Our job If he's leading, our job is to follow, right? Our job is to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as we're just going about our daily lives at work or at the grocery store or at school or as we're taking a walk or as we're watching our daughter's soccer game or our son's concert or whatever, wherever we are, we are carriers of the Holy Spirit. And that spirit is wanting to advance the mission of Jesus, The spirit is wanting to advance the mission of Jesus. So again, our job is just to let him know, let the Holy Spirit know we're available. We're available. We're following. We're here to follow. We're available. And then to obey his prompting. And his prompting, his prompting is always rooted in love. Always. (laughs) It's always rooted in love. How can we love this person? How can we love this person? Maybe it's by asking the, the, the checker at Walmart how their day's going and sincerely asking them. Or maybe it's by praying for someone that you see that's in need or offering to buy someone's groceries or whatever. See, the spirit in us wants to love people through us and that love opens doors for the gospel to be demonstrated and shared See, when we have this perspective of being witnesses and of being empowered by the Spirit, it actually takes the pressure off, right? It takes the pressure off because we don't don't have to manufacture anything. We don't have to force anything. We don't have to manufacture anything. We can just love people and look for opportunities that the Spirit will open, look for doors that the Holy Spirit would open. Again, he's the one empowering the mission. He's the one leading the mission. We're we're just his instruments. We're just his instruments. So our engagement in God's mission can be significantly transformed by us regularly asking him this one question. Holy Spirit, how do you want to use me right now? How do you want to use me in this situation? 
How do you want to use me in this context right now? How do you want to use me as it relates to this particular need? I got an email um, a few weeks ago from a, an e-group <clears throat> leader who was very excited about how his group had just felt challenged to go and do something in the community. They didn't know what, and so they kind of prayed about it and felt God prompting them to do something just for the homeless. And so they said, hey, let's just put together these little bags that we could give to homeless people when we see them, bags with, you know, some simple hygiene things, some water, some food, you know, things like that, and a, an encouragement, a note, a bookmark kind of a thing, just encouraging them with scripture. So they put these bags together, and they were kind of doing this for a few weeks, and then they said, you know what, we ought to, we ought to just go down to a park here in town where we know a number of homeless people are, and we ought to just give these things out personally and see what happens. And so with some fear and trepidation, they went down to this park and they began to do this. Three hours. It was for three hours. They had no idea. Just the people were so receptive. And they ended up sharing scriptures with people and praying with people. And people didn't want them to leave. They wanted to keep talking to them. It was just, it opened their eyes to the power of being available for the Holy Spirit and then love, just loving people. And the doors that open when we do that. I mean, what might happen if we allow the Holy Spirit to prompt us and to use us? What might happen if you and I get past our fears and we just say, okay, Holy Spirit, this is your day. Here I am. I'm at Walmart right now, or I'm at this place right now. I'm at work right now. Holy Spirit, how do you want to use me today? And then looking for opportunities to love people and, and to minister to them in his power. Okay, so now there's one more question that, that is addressed in this passage about the mission, and that's the why. Why should we live this way? Why not just live for ourselves and our pleasure and comfort? I mean, that's a lot easier. Why don't we just do that? Why should we even be concerned about sharing this gospel with others? I mean, surely someone will get to them. Why should we, we you and me here, why should we be concerned about this? That's a really important question. In fact, I'm telling you right now that there are a lot of Christians who get the what and the who and the how. They pass that test. They understand all those things. They get the what, the who, and the how of the mission, but they still aren't engaged in the mission on a daily basis. They aren't in their daily lives, their regular lives. Why aren't they engaged? It's because of the why. See, if we can get the first three, but if we don't get the why, we're not going to do anything. If the why doesn't impact us here, we're not going to do anything. See, if we don't understand the why, we won't be looking for opportunities to love people, share the gospel with them. So what's the why? What's the why? Well, we see the answer in the last few verses of this chapter. Verse 50, when, when, he, lay, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Now, this is very interesting. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They stayed at the temple, praising God. See, these are the same people who had been fearful and discouraged and withdrawn, and yet now their hearts are filled with joy. Jesus has changed their lives. Meeting him was the best thing that had ever happened to them. Meeting Jesus was the best thing that had ever happened to them. Now think about this. What do we instinctively do when something good happens to us? 
when our lives are impacted in a good way, right? Like when a, a, a grandbaby is born or when we lose 50 pounds on a new diet or we receive some promotion at work or we go to a movie that moves us in a powerful way, you know, or we find $30 on the street or whatever. What do we instinctively want to do when something good happens to us? We want to tell someone, all of us, Introvert, extrovert, we want to tell someone, it is not a guilt thing, it's not an ought to, it's a want to. This good thing happened, and we want to share it, we can't keep it in. I was at the Rockies game yesterday with Raylene, and uh, we, we were, it was about seventh inning, and they were losing, and we needed food, but, uh, and so we, we would say, hey, let's do some nachos, you know, so, so we, we walked up to the front, and I was like, I don't want to do the plastic container thing with that queso that's like out of a can, you know, is there anything else available? And so I talked to the guy, the, the employee there that worked at the top of our second, of the section we were in. And, and I said, where are the best nachos at Coors Field? You know, and, uh, and he said, he pulled out his little book and he looked and he found these monster nachos, um, section 111. You may want to write this down. Trust me. Um, so <laughs> So we went over to section 111 and sure enough, there's just this little, I mean, there's a little cart. It's not very big. Monster nachos. And they were like seven bucks. I mean, in Coorsville, that was pretty good, right? Seven fifty. And, and, and we got in line and, and they just start, it's this big old thing like this. And then they just start loading on whatever you want. You just tell them chicken and, and uh, black beans. And then there's this green chili and they're just piling it on as much as you want. I was amazed. So we go back to our seat and, you know, we're chowing on this. And what's the, what, you know, what's the first thing I want to do? I want to tell someone. I'm texting my kids. Hey, we found this monster nacho thing. I want to put it on Facebook, but it, for some reason it didn't work. But I did try to post a picture on Facebook of these monster nachos. I wanted everyone to know. Section 111, right? That's where you find these things. They're amazing. I wanted to tell someone. So why would we want to share the gospel because of how Jesus has impacted our lives. The forgiveness we've experienced for our failures and the joy and the peace and the hope and the restoration that he has brought to our lives. Can you imagine your life without him? Can you imagine your life without him? Why wouldn't we want everyone to know this same relationship, to know this same joy? See, if we don't feel this compulsion to share this good news with others, we probably need to see the story differently. We need to relook at the gospel. We need to relook at the story. We need to, and we need to see ourselves in the story differently. See, we, we need to reconnect with the why in us. We got to reconnect with the why in us. See, for me personally, I need to continually remember that this gospel is good news to me. I hate to admit it for a long time, even for the first few years of my pastorate here, the gospel didn't really feel like good news to me, to me. In my head, I understood it, but in my heart, I was still trying to earn God's love. I was still trying to prove that I was worthy. It was exhausting. It was like I knew the lyrics of the gospel, but I didn't know the melody. Well, over time, God began to reveal to my heart how the gospel truly is good news for me. It, it is not this to-do list to try and keep God happy. It is not this, this boring Sunday morning ritual. The gospel opens a door for us to rest from our striving and our stress. 
to, it opens the door for us to be loved and accepted just the way we are, to know that our failures are forgiven. I mean, do you, do you know anyone that needs that? It really is good news. If it doesn't feel like good news, it's not the gospel. And when it feels like good news to us, guess what? We want to share it. When it feels like good news to us, we want to share it. It's better than monster nachos, you know? So, so the entire book of Luke, the entire book of Luke vividly shows us how wonderful and brilliant and amazing Jesus is and how he came to bring about this good news of the kingdom to bring restoration to our broken lives, right? That's, that's the whole message of the book. But Luke ends this book. He ends this book with a to-be-continued challenge from Jesus to each of us. Jesus says to us, this story is not ending, it's just beginning. You are now my witnesses of this good news that you have experienced. Share it. Share it with the, this broken world all around you so that my story of restoration continues. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word and this amazing passage, the book of Luke ending with this to be continued challenge, really. And so I want all of us here, I want us to think about how Jesus has impacted your life since you first came to know him. Just think about that. So as we're getting in touch with that, here's the question. Do you want others to experience that as well? Of course we do. So here's the prayer, Holy Spirit, come, fill us, fill us, we are available to love people, we're available to look for open doors, to tell them about you, we pray, we pray for people to come to know you. So we want to make this prayer part of a, a response of worship right now. Asking the Holy Spirit to come and to move our hearts. That we're available and we want him to use us to touch people with this good news of the gospel. So why, why don't we stand? whatever campus you're at here, let's begin standing. If you want to sit on at some point, that's totally cool. And I want to just pray one more time here for the Holy Spirit to come. And then that we would just be available and opening our hearts to him. So Holy Spirit, come and fill 
us and use us as carriers, as missionaries, as carriers of this mission. Use us for your glory. We want this because of what we've experienced. We want others to experience it as well. Thank you, God. Set us free to worship you. Come, Holy Spirit.